0: Hi, everyone. This is Randy, one of your favorite hosts from Stones, Bones, and Shadows podcast. I am popping in today to share some exciting news that we are getting ready to launch our Patreon. If you want monthly bonus episodes, member Q&As, our own tapafile book club discussions, and yes, even the occasional pet photo, let's just say we will have you buried in extra content, pun intended. Make sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, stones, bones, and Shadowspodcast.com for more details as we approach the month of April for how to join in on all of the action. Hope to connect with all of you soon. One of the biggest Old West legends in Arizona was a desperado called by the nickname El Peludo, the hairy one. And the tall tales about him are as large and as far-fetched as any outlaw tale out there. Old timers back in the day claimed that he had killed 50 men, and had 30 notches carved on the butt of his revolver. He escaped capture and even jail more than once, and ran stolen horses across the border for years before his betrayal, capture, and eventual execution. What lies beneath? Agustin Chacon, hombre muy bravo. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Hi, friends and files. I'm your host, Lachelle. I'm joined today by my best guy, Brad, to tell you a story from our neck of the woods. Well, not so much the woods, it's kind of more like the desert. Our neck of the desert doesn't have the same ring to it. I guess not. (laughs) Our part of the world, our part of America, the American West.
1: Yes, the areas we both grew up in. We grew up hearing his name. This actually took place in the town that my family hails from called Solomonville.
0: Exactly, and his grave is just miles from there and where I grew up there in the Gila Valley in Arizona. And a while
1: ago in the past, over 120 years ago.
0: Back when the West was a wild and dangerous place. He's buried in the San Jose Cemetery in Graham County, Mm. Arizona. As you walk into the cemetery, You go through the entrance of tall rock walls with a wooden sign arching over both sides and painted in white stenciled letters, San Jose Cemetery. You enter through a chain link gate. It is a simple place with cactus, mesquite trees, and dirt. The kind of graves you see here are simple headstones or white crosses and some graves piled with rocks to mark their spot.
1: There's also an amazing view of Mount Graham, which rises a mile into the sky above the valley below with the
0: Gila Mountain Range on the other side of the valley. Such a gorgeous view. Augustine's grave is a simple rectangular gray granite stone that says Augustine Chacon, 1861 to 1902. So he died at the age of 41. The grave itself is covered by rocks And his stone also was much newer than 1902, and it was placed later by friends and family. His epitaph reads, He lived without fear. He faced death without fear. Hombre muy bravo. Which in Spanish means not he was a very
1: brave dude. Nope, that's not what it means. It means Uh. he was a very bad dude. Seriously oh. bad, dude.
0: <laughs> Agustin Chacon began life in Sonora, Mexico, where he was born during their Civil War. Not much is known about his childhood, but as a young man, it is said that he was a peace officer in the little town of Tigre in Sonora and also worked as a vaquero or cowboy who liked to steal horses and cattle and run them across the border to sell.
1: Chacon was one of the last of the hard-riding desperados who rode the outlaw trail in the closing days of the 19th century. He was a resident of Sonora, Mexico, but did much of his mischief in Arizona, leading his gangs on forays of pillage and plunder. Each time, they'd hightail it back to Sonora, where he lived in a well-defended fortress-like ranch, to his admirers, Chacon was more of a Robin Hood than a border bandit. Old-timers claim Chacon had 30 notches carved in the butt of a six-shooter. I doubt if anyone ever carved 30 notches in a six-gun, there's really not room in the butt of a six-shooter. Besides, that's Pulp Fiction stuff. It was in 1888 or 1889 that he first came further into the U.S. at
0: Morenci Arizona. He was said to have a Thick, shock of black hair and a fierce black mustache. And sometimes he wore a beard and he also had a mat of black hair that covered his chest. They said, like a rug. And these distinctions earned him the sobriquet of peludo. Yeah, peludo means in Spanish,
1: hairy or the hairy one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not like the name Harry or Harold... No, he was just like a really hairy guy. I mean, can you imagine like a rug, a rug, <laughs> a rug of hair <laughs> across his chest? He was also said to have been quite a tall, lean man with broad shoulders. He was powerfully built and he had a very dark complexion. He was a favorite of the young senoritas, it is said, and he seemed to have one in every village mm. on both sides of the border. Women were always eager to please him, and he had other admirers, too. He established a reputation
1: as a leader among certain groups of the Morenci Mexicans who supplemented their meager incomes by occasionally stealing and butchering beef on Eagle Creek or Bonita Creek. They would then divide the beef among themselves for food, or they might even sell part to the butcher and get a small amount of money and they were not beyond armed robbery of establishments in Clifton and Marinci. Chacone did work enough as he hauled wood to fire the narrow-gauge train, Little Emma. He worked for George B. Gamble, the engineer of the train that hauled ore from the mines at Metcalf to Clifton. Mr. Gamble said that he was a
0: good and willing worker and seemed to be quite mild-mannered. One night in Marinci, Shortly after midnight on December 18, 1895, Chacon and two other men, with the last names of Luna and Morales, climbed through the back windows of Mrs. McCormick's store with the intent of robbing it. They held up the store manager, Paul Decker, who attempted to wrest both a gun and a knife away from the robbers, but he was stunned by a vicious blow to the head by Chacon. He was then forced to the store safe and ordered to open the safe or die.
1: But even with a knife held close to his body and a gun pointed at him, he refused to open the safe and then attempted to flee. This almost cost him his life because in the desperate struggle which ensued, he received, quote, two stabs and five cuts, the last stab being a vicious one which sank the six-inch Dirk into his side completely to the hilt. Even then, with the knife still in his side and a heroic effort, Becker broke away from his assailants and staggered into Pablo Salcedo's saloon.
0: There at Salcido's saloon, he found Graham County Deputy Sheriff, Alex Davis. Sheriff Davis removed the knife from Decker's side and there was little else they could do that night about apprehending the unholy trio.
1: The next morning, an investigation began and revealed a trail of blood, starting at the McCormick store and leading up an extremely steep hill. Following the bloody trail, the deputy sheriff found that they led directly to the home of Santiago Contreras. As he approached the house in the company of three little curious Mexican boys, Mm -hmm. Chacon, Morales, and Luna were seen fleeing the home, running in a southwesterly direction up a hill. Davis later testified that he was first fired upon by Pilar Luna. This began what proved to be the town of Morenci's most
0: memorable gun battle. Officer Davis returned fire and was joined quickly in the fray by Morenci's justice of the peace, Albert Brewer, who was about hundred yards to the rear at the time Chacon and his henchmen fled the Contreras home. Historian writer Ridgway puts it this way: "Quote." Davis soon emptied his six-shooter at the bandit Triumvirate as they fought their way up the mountainside. Reloading, he continued to fire and in this round was successful in wounding Chacon. About this time, however, Chacon and his compadres had gotten over a bunch of rocks, so Davis started down the hill where he encountered Pablo Salcido, prominent Maranci merchant and brother to the Salcido who operated the saloon. Come, said Salcedo, let's catch these fellows. No, answered Davis, let's get some guns and go around the hill. One of them is either killed or wounded. Davis continued down the hill to obtain guns and was later successful, along with other men, in flanking the embattled trio, while Salcedo made his way up the mountain to his doom, a bullet striking him in the forehead. When the smoke of battle cleared, according to official testimony given by Brewer, quote, there must have been 300 shots fired, unquote. Salcido, Luna, and Morales were all dead on the mountainside. One bullet had hit Chacon in the arm and a slight wound on his hairy chest. Well, I just have to say here that the rug of hair, if that was all the truth, maybe the bullet was cushioned or didn't penetrate that well because of all of that hair. (laughs) <laughs> that worked out pretty good for El
1: Peludo. <laughs> exactly. A large number of Marinci Townsmen participated in the blazing battle in which over 300 shots were fired. Lawman caught up with him before he reached the border and he was brought to Solomonville, the county seat, to stand trial for murder. The trial began on April 30th, 1896 and was completed on May 28th. Owen T. Rouse was the presiding judge and William Barnes and Wiley Jones represented the territory of Arizona, while John McCullum, William Lovell, and R.D. Patterson acted as attorneys for the defendant. Deputy Davis, Brewer, Becker, Dr. Davis, Riggio, Cheveria, Faustonian Candelaria, and Mrs. Salcido all presented damaging evidence for the territory. Those testifying for the defense, besides Chacon, were Walter Bell, Alice Pratt, who had a room in the saloon in Morenci. Concepcion Castro and Paz Villalobes. The defense made every effort to prove that Chacon was gravely injured at the time Salcedo fell and it was Pilar Luna who fired the fatal blast. Despite their efforts to do so, Chacon was found guilty and sentenced on June 2nd by the judge to hang on July 24th. It looked like the end of the line for one of Arizona's most notorious outlaws. But Chacon had an ace up his sleeve. He spent several weeks before his execution plotting an escape. Because remember, the poor Mexicans living in the nearby mining camp saw the handsome outlaw as a Robin Hood.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they were ready and willing to help him escape. Oh boy. A pretty young senorita inserted a hacksaw blade in the spine of a family Bible and smuggled (laughs) it into Chacon's (laughs) cell. Isn't that typical? That's just how it always happens. I read that among his cellmates was a mariachi band consisting of a violin, guitar, and concertina.
0: Of course, because every jail needs a good mariachi band. Each night, while Chacon saw through the bars, the
1: band let forth some loud, lusty corridos to drown out the noise.
0: (laughs) On the night he was to make his break, Chacon's pretty companion batted her long eyelashes and lured the night jailer out for a walk in the moonlight. With the jailer not paying attention to his captive, Chacon was able to escape into the night. And
1: Chacon went on a long walk that night that lasted six years.
0: <laughs> yes, he remained free for six years. Augustine Chacon continued his wild and woolly ways but the Arizona Rangers were hot on his trail the whole time. Finally, Ranger Captain Bert Mossman, posing as an outlaw, tried to talk the bandit into accompanying him on a horse-stealing caper at Colonel William C. Green's ranch in the San Rafael Valley. Along with Bert Alvord and Billy Stiles, who were both outlaws that had fled to Mexico, then turned state's evidence against Peludo and other outlaws. Mossman was posing as an escapee from the Tombstone Jail, and he was supposed to be assisting in this horse stealing. Met Chacon and Stiles at their rendezvous near the horse ranch. From the outset, the swarthy Mexican was extremely suspicious of their new gringo and watched him closely, but was covered by Mossman, as his hands went to his pockets for the tobacco and papers, which the ranger, by a prearranged plan, asked of him, Styles, who had stepped behind Chacone just before Mossman's request, relieved the bandit of his guns. "Why don't you shoot?" Chacone sneered. Not only was he deeply chagrined because of his capture, but immediately developed an intense hatred for alvard for his part in the betrayal. Alvord had left Stiles and Chacone the evening before the capture so as not to be present at the time it was effected. The news of the capture was wired to Graham County Sheriff Jim Parks at Solomonville who immediately left for Fairbanks where he picked Chacone up and returned him to the jail at Solomonville. Parks was elected sheriff in 1900 and went on to serve three action-packed terms. En route to Solomonville, Chacon confided to Sheriff Parks that he could have killed him on one occasion. He said, I was in that cave at Ash Springs the time you and your wife passed, he explained. Parks well remembered the occurrence referred to. While passing through that section of the county one evening about dusk, he noticed a man appear from out of a cave well up on the hillside. I saw the fellow had a gun, Park said, so I handed the reins to my wife and laid my Winchester across my lap. I never realized it was Chacon until he reminded me of the incident. (laughs) On being returned to the Solomonville jail, Chacon discovered his former quarters had been altered somewhat. To his sorrow and disadvantage during his absence, a new steel cage had been installed which prevented any chance for a repetition of his previous escape then too he was more securely shackled and closely watched by deputy jailer Charlie Sands it was one of the most daring
1: captures of a dangerous outlaw in the annals of the old west it drew howls of protest from the Mexican government But Chacon was behind bars once again
0: At this period, a concerted effort was made by the condemned man's friends to have his sentence commuted to one of life imprisonment. But such efforts were unsuccessful, and for a third time, Chacon heard himself sentenced to die, this time November 21st, 1902. Probably the last precious days of the doomed man were spent planning ways of escape, or hoping for a reprieve or even in thoughts of vengeance. Just a few days before his appointed date of execution, he sent word to Reginio Chavaria that he would like to see him at the jail. Chavaria never appeared. He was one of the ones that gave witness against him, so oh, who yeah. knows what he really wanted to say. Maybe he wanted to strangle him through the <laughs> bars. <laughs> Probably.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, Sheriff Parks readied everything for the execution. Under his supervision, the gallows were erected by John Bessner, a pioneer Solomonville blacksmith. I didn't want to spring the trap, Park said, so I asked John if he wanted to do it. His deputy and prominent saloonman said, nothing doing. (laughs) If he tried to get away, Epley said, I would damn sure shoot him, but I don't want to spring no trap. (laughs) Chacon awoke early, The morn of the Black Friday set for the execution, there was much to be done. First, he ordered a hearty breakfast, which he seemed to enjoy eating. Then he sent for his friends, Sisto Molino and Jesus Bustos, whom he instructed concerning the disposal of his body. Next followed the first of two long talks with Father Detremond, the Catholic priest serving the Solomonville area. Most likely, even at this late date, Chacon was still hoping for a miracle of a reprieve. Only a few days previous, Manuel Mascarenas, the Mexican consul at Nogales, had visited Solomonville to investigate his case, afterwards wiring the results of investigation to the Mexican ambassador in Washington. Perhaps Theodore Roosevelt would intervene in his behalf. And, too, Attorney McCullum, appointed by the court to defend him, never ceased to work tirelessly in his behalf. On that very day, he was in Tucson attempting to obtain a writ of habeas corpus from Judge Davis to stop the hanging.
0: For that matter, lots of things could have happened, but they didn't. After a hearty noonday meal and a last five-minute conversation with Father Detremont, the death march commenced.
1: The clock showed two. First came the sheriff, then the condemned man along with the deputies, Lee Hobbs and John Hardtimes Parks, the sheriff's (laughs) brother. Father Detremond brought up the rear. Chacon was wearing a new black suit and was cleanly shaven except for his mustache.
0: There's probably a lot of people that could think that um, their middle name was Hardtimes.
1: Yeah. With a sure step, he mounted the scaffolds and calmly surveyed the approximately 50 spectators who crowded the tiny courtyard. Many more were roosting in the surrounding trees, Mm -hmm. morbidly waiting to view the death drop. Wow. By the scaffold rested a crude coffin, which Chacon eyed with disdain. The (laughs) air was chilly, but the Arizona sun was shining brightly. Chacon commenced with a speech, which he had received permission to make from Sheriff Parks. Because he spoke only Spanish, Nick Alstein acted as an interpreter. Albert Sames, then connected with the law firm of Edwards McFarland at Solomonville, who went on to become a federal judge, recorded Chacon's last words. He really milked this because (laughs) he spoke slowly. Everything he said had to be translated. He really got his money's worth out of his final last words.
0: It did. It felt like he was kind of just like... All right, I have something I want to say. And he gives his big log speech. So it seems like, yeah, he was trying to draw out the time until he had to swing. So here's Chacon's last words I have much to say, the
1: doomed man commenced, and then asked for a cup of coffee, which he received. He then began a little. <laughs> because lengthy... he needs
0: his coffee before he. Before he dies, I'd hate to fall asleep
1: at my hanging. (laughs) Then he began a lengthy speech, which was largely a denial of the many crimes in which he had been accused. After talking for possibly 10 minutes, he asked for cigarette papers, (laughs) wrote himself a cigarette, and commenced. It's nothing but right that when one is going to die, that he be given a few moments of time to quietly smoke a cigarette, he said. Resuming his talk, Till near 30 minutes had elapsed since the time he mounted the scaffold, concluding with these words, According to my understanding and knowledge, the law is dealt out slowly but surely with dumb instruments. (laughs) (laughs) The law never lets up and never gets out of order. If any of you intend to leave, I would like to have you all remain until the last moment. And now, I would like to smoke Mm -hmm. a cigarette slowly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he sat down on the scaffold, wrote another cigarette, <laughs> smoked it slowly. <laughs> then he was questioned, is that all? And Chacon replied, "Si, Tolo. That's it.
0: Then his friends were able to shake hands with him. While meeting his friends, he requested that he be permitted to live until three o'clock but broke off his leave-taking on being informed that his leave-taking time was now up. It's too late now, he told a party waiting to bid him goodbye. Time to hang. He then proceeded to take off his shoes and helped officers secure his bonds. It was then he asked Sheriff Parks if he was ready and called out a last goodbye as he plunged through the trap. Moments later came the sickening thud. A murmur arose from the crowd as they shuddered with the rope. Not a muscle seemed to twitch in the black-clad frame as it swayed gently at the end of the rope. Within 16 minutes, Chacon was pronounced dead by doctors Warner and Platt of Safford, and Sheriff Parks cut the body down. Now this is perhaps where the story should end. Outlaw caught and hung. Case closed, but he was so notorious and word spread as legends often do that the swarthy hombre lived on, that he was saved from death by his friend Molino, who forced whiskey down his throat, rubbed his limbs to start circulation, and covered his body with blankets.
1: Soon Reports became rampant that Chacon had been seen in El Paso, Texas, in Mexico and in numerous other places. There was even a song that quickly became popular among the Mexican populace and in it tells of how Peluso lived on and that it was Pilar Luna that was responsible for Salcedo's death.
0: His friends Bustos and Molino have been dead for a long long time but before their passing the duo would often chuckle about the many false stories and legends that enveloped their friend, Peludo. Both men, for instance, flatly denied attempting to resuscitate him. Caterina Molino's wife, when asked if Chacon truly died on the gallows, answered, I turned back the sheet and looked at him. He was dead, all right. My friend, Anito Buterreras, stayed all night with me. None of us went to bed. During the night, Sisto told, Candles were burned by the dead Peludo, as in next to the dead Peludo, <laughs> and next morning his remains were taken to the San Jose Cemetery for internment. Molino remembered, Not many of us were there, Jesus Bustos, Jesus Aros, myself, and a few others. Jim Parks had this to say about Chacon and his supposed resurrection. I heard reports for a while after the hanging that Chacon was being seen here and there, but I soon stopped such stories. Every time someone told me they saw Chacon, I would say that if anyone's neck could stretch that far, indicating about eight inches, and still live, it was all right with me. That fellow's head did everything but come off his body. What do you think, Brad? Did he really die by hanging or did his friends resuscitate him? You know, we kind of talked about this in the other episode about John Miller being possibly Billy the Kid. It's like people just couldn't quite stand to have these scary outlaws alive, but then they created all these legends about their death and that they didn't die afterwards. I think if he hadn't shaved and had an
1: El peludo on and as a beard on his neck, he might have made it.
0: <laughs> his
1: hairy chest could stop bullets, apparently, and I think his hairy neck could have cheated the hangman's news.
0: Yeah, it could have just been that, that inch of extra room that could have possibly made the difference. No rash. <laughs> we read many articles by writer Ridgeway, who was a historian and wrote many articles in the Graham County newspaper of the time. And he wrote throughout the 70s and 80s. He said that he'd been commissioned by Governor Merriam to take time from his regular duties and to travel around and give lectures on Western and Southwestern history to various ethnic groups. And on this particular evening, he was to address a Spanish-speaking group in their native tongue. his topic regarded the various leaders, particularly Geronimo, Magnus Colorado, Victorio, and Cochise, the depredations committed by them and their followers. He then spoke of the renegade cowboys and outlaws such as Black Jack Christensen, Red Samples, Billy the Kid, the Apache kid, as well as Agustin Chacon. He then noticed that there was a man there that was a few years older than he was, and he was seated in the front row. He seemed quite attentive to the lecture, but the moment that he started talking about Chacon, he became visibly disturbed and distraught, and he could just see the tears just coursing down the man's face. He seemed to be weeping silently. Well, of course, this was a very strange reaction in one of his lectures for someone to actually be crying during the story of Chacone. At the conclusion of the lecture, he came forward and just started bombarding Ryder Ridgeway about questions about Chacon and, and where he had done what and what had happened. He asked him why his interest in a stranger that had been dead many years. And his reply really shocked Ridgway. He said, Chacon was my father. Wow. So it seems throughout the years, his mother had told him that his father had passed away in Solomonville during an outbreak of smallpox. So, unfortunately, through this very strange twist of fate, Ryder Ridgeway was the one to tell his son all the deeds of Agustin Chacon. Wow. He said, quote, "...through fate I had been the instrument to deliver such shocking and hurtful information and wished a thousand times over that I had chosen some other unrelated subject." and spared that poor soul such heartache and sorrow. That's a strange twist of fate, isn't it? Mothers tell stories sometimes, you know. Well, sometimes we shield our children, probably from things that don't really matter. But it seems like during a young man's life, living in that area, but maybe they had moved away or something. But if you'd grown up in that area, it seems like you would have heard that story. There's a book about him if you would like to read it. It's called The Story of Notorious Arizona Outlaw Augustine Chacon by David Grassi by History Press, Charleston, South Carolina. According to the Arizona-based reference librarian David Grassi, who has plumbed period records and journals, practically all of what has been passed down over the past century on Chacon is that it may all be too good or bad to be true. The product of his research is less of a biography than a fascinating study on how sensationalism can take a grain of truth and snowball into a disproportionate myth. Despite testimony and evidence that left more than just a shadow of doubt and details of how Chacon managed to dig his way out of a jail cell in Solomonville, on the eve of his execution. From then on, however, it's where the hard facts of his whereabouts kind of cease and speculation stampeded as virtually every robbery or killing in Arizona was believed to be the work of Chacon or his gang. As he sifts through all these accounts, the author notes the repeated use of the disclaimer believed to be right because that's just all part of legend and rumor and he says that adding to the absent Chacon's sinister public image were longstanding cross-border prejudices toward Mexicans into which his depredations real or not were shoehorned by 1902 such attitudes had elevated the fugitive into a notorious serial killer who would have to pay the ultimate penalty. Just before hanging, when Chacon requested and was granted a half hour to make his final statement, at his appointed time, his last words, as we said, were, Time to hang, thanks to his jailers. Not content with that bland farewell the Bisbee Daily Review attributed to him, the more defiant, I consider this to be the greatest day of my life. And we hear this also a lot in the early 1900s, right, of um, nice. the press didn't really like what the truth was. So they just added a few things. Let's see. I think we call this fake news. Yeah. So much has changed. So much has changed. So Grasse deconstructs the legend that has been repeated in history publications ever since. With, you know, their sloppy editing occasionally trips up what is an essentially an intriguing read that reveals how a minor felon was hoisted to criminal heights.
1: So interesting that so much of the hype and legend is just that, lore and legend.
0: Makes you wonder about a lot of other Wild West tales, and tales of the Old West are like that as well. Right.
1: Another fun fact is in one of the most famous Western cemeteries in the wild West here is Boot Hill of Tombstone. Mm -hmm. And on one of the headstones in Boot Hill, there is uh, sheriff Olney that says that he was killed by Augustine Chacon. Oh, so not true. It's been disproven many a time that they never ran across each other. Just an example of how, something big in Boot Hill really isn't true.
0: Yeah, part of the legend, the lore. I mean, it was much bigger than he really was. And more than likely, he probably didn't kill any of these people. And he may not have even killed Salcido. Pablo Salcido. Yeah, it's really likely a one in
1: three chance he didn't even kill Salcido. But so many times the law likes to grab who they have to meet out their punishment. Convenient targeting.
0: But he also did commit the crime of the robbery, so he at least should have got that. And they did all shoot at the sheriff, so there should have been something there. I don't know it what the (laughs) attempted murder. I don't know what you would get.
1: And the final proof is that he had 30 notches in his six-shooter.
0: Uh, yeah, did he or did he not? I believe he did. You said you did. You believed he didn't. <laughs> it has to be true. It has to be true if they say so in a book. But I thought it was a really interesting story. I thought it was kind of fun to dig into another one of these Old West bandits and outlaws. People really love these wild west stories and the reason why so many previous authors have written as supposed to be or you know recorded to have been or you have to use like that kind of language because there isn't a whole lot of true hard facts that you can go back to records and check so it's it's pretty difficult so and I think most of a story is a lot of lore
1: and if there's not enough legend to this story, on your way to the San Jose Cemetery, just before you get there, there is a standing statue of Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so if you need a little more legend, take in the statue of Bigfoot. <laughs> little, exactly. little local charm.
0: Well, thanks, honey, for being here with me today and helping me tell the story of Agustin Chacon. You're welcome. I'm glad my nickname's not El Peludo. (laughs) No, it isn't. (laughs) So many of our Wild West tales are counts of men and women that were told and retold. And with each telling, they got bigger and bigger. There was just the beginning of news. Towns and even Arizona was a territory. It wasn't even a state until 1912. But we sure have had a lot of fascinating tales that keep the world interested in the old days of the Wild West. Was he a bandit or a robber? Yes, we know that. We know he shot at the sheriff and his posse that day, and men were killed on both sides. But was he the serial killer of legend? Did he have a six-shooter full of marks of all the men that he had killed? Probably not. And is he buried in San Jose Cemetery? I don't know. The answer is what lies beneath. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stones bones and shadows
1: podcast.com also don't forget to check us out on facebook like us on instagram follow us on twitter and leave us a comment we love to hear from our listeners